Hello listeners and welcome back to the show. My name is Joe and you're listening to This Gen, Last Gen. This episode, we've got two entries in some of gaming's biggest franchises, Resident Evil 7 and God of War. Unfortunately, we've been struck by the curse of scheduling again, and my co-host Sorrel is not with me live, but we're going to record two segments, splice them together, and you'll never know the difference. Plus, this time we're doing a kind of a mailbag thing. I've asked him some questions about Resident Evil 7 that I want answered, and he has asked me about God of War. So, after the music, we'll dive straight into those reviews. So, this is not the first time we've talked about the God of War franchise here on This Gen, Last Gen. A few episodes ago, I revisited the franchise and played God of War 3 Remastered, and what I discovered was that I think I like the God of War games, until I actually go back and play them, and then I discover that they're not really how I remember them. Uh, and it, it feels in some ways like I've kind of grown out of the series, or at least... Uh, that's how I felt about God of War 3. And it was both that, uh, in some ways, uh, I felt like I kind of matured out of the kind of the very, uh, very angry, very adolescent, like super violent, uh, super gritty characters. Uh, and I just wasn't as impressed with them anymore, with the kind of like the story and the setting and the way it's all presented. Uh, but also that I found that the, the gameplay was uh, kind of, twitchy and uh frankly too fast for me and, and it feels like my my reflexes aren't what they once were uh, i never actually finished god of war 3 back on the ps3 and when i replayed it on uh ps4 i couldn't even get as far as i had before i got stuck in a much earlier boss fight and i eventually uh ended up restarting the game and switching to a lower difficulty so back when they announced this new god of war uh, at an earlier e3 I wasn't really sure what to expect, you know, I, I I was intrigued and that was what what spurred me on to go finally play God of War 3, but uh, I was a little bit worried, you know, I was thinking, can it really be so different, is it going to be like a kind of a total reboot, obviously it still stars Kratos, but it's a totally new setting, are they going to kind of ignore the old games, are they going to hew quite closely to the tone? Uh, and then when it came out, you know, it was getting a ton of critical acclaim, but I was still a bit trepidatious when I finally sat down to play it. And I'm thinking, well, uh, I know that when I play God of War 3, I had to like crank the difficulty right down. And uh, what, what am I going to get out of this one? So I'm pleased to say that the new God of War is excellent. It deserves basically all the praise that it has been getting. And uh, it's a really fascinating game because I think in some ways... As, as like a kind of a piece of pop culture entertainment. It seems almost, uh, maybe not unique, but certainly quite rare. I mean, it is not the first time that we are seeing uh, an older version of like a long running protagonist. Uh, we've seen that quite a lot recently. We've seen, uh, you know, Wolverine in Logan, uh, I think is a great example of that. It's something you see in like, say the, uh, the Rocky movies where Rocky kind of grows a bit older through those films, and now he's like he's back as a mentor figure in the, in the Creed films. Uh, it, it's something I quite like. I, I like seeing like characters grow older, and when movies or when games or when stories 
do that really well, it's something that you can't kind of, you can't fake it if it's just a standalone story. It's drawing on a lot of your kind of memories and, and uh, like the, that long history of that character. It's something that comics can often do quite well because they've been, you know, they tend to have been running for so long, especially, you know, superhero comics, obviously I'm talking about. But uh, I think it's something you don't see as often in movies or in, in video games. And uh, I think especially to see a game where, uh, you know, Kratos was such an over-the-top character, uh, such, like, such a bad character, just kind of uh, carelessly killing people be, like it's the sort of the mid-90s and that's super cool. Uh, it's kind of really hilarious looking back on some of those earlier God of War games now. But I feel like... Uh, I feel like if, if you're someone who liked those earlier games, I don't think that the new God of War kind of disrespects those. I think that it takes those games and uses them as a starting point and then builds off them in this incredible way while still kind of acknowledging all that source material and uh, using it as this incredible place to work from to create something totally new and so much better. So uh, just to kind of so we're all on the same page. The new God of War, it, it drops the uh, Greek setting from the previous games. You're still playing as Kratos. He's still the main character. But he's now in Midgard, which is uh, one of the, the sort of the nine realms in Norse mythology. You know, if you are uh, familiar at all with Marvel Comics or especially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you might recognize Midgard as one of the nine realms in those movies as well, where they heavily feature Thor and Asgard. And... Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. It feels almost like uh, Norse mythology is having this a bit of a resurgence with, uh, you know, we had Thor Ragnarok recently. Uh, there was um, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, which I haven't played, but Sorrel did and really enjoyed. So uh, I know that Sorrel's going to be listening to my take on God of War. And uh, I have to say, playing this God of War, it's making me really want to explore more Norse myth and uh, like Hellblade, Hellblade has like shot up the list of things that I want to try. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to say that it is a super accurate, super faithful take on Norse myth. Uh, one of the things that I've kind of learned in, in doing a bit of reading up on it uh, while playing the game and after playing the game is that uh, there's some contradictions in some of the sources we've got and a lot of the sort of records of, of Norse myths are kind of written after the fact and after the Scandinavian countries became Christian and so uh, they're maybe not the kind of perfect records anyway but uh, I feel like this God of War draws really heavily on those myths and it's probably far more faithful than other pop culture versions like especially the uh, the, the MCU the Marvel version of, of the Norse mythology Norse mythology than the Norse pantheon like, I feel like God of War is a much more faithful version of that while still being kind of a uh, maybe what you would expect from a God of War game that is uh, like these gods are tending to be kind of like darker and more violent and uh, very much uh, what you'd expect from a sequel to those, those earlier God of War games in terms of the nature of the gods. So like I said in the intro, uh, before we started recording our, our little separate segments uh, and later you're going to hear from Sorrel about Resident Evil 7, uh, we, asked each other some questions and one of the first things that Sorrel asked me was if I hated the previous games is there a chance that I can enjoy this new one and you know it, 
that's kind of a difficult question to answer in some ways because um, obviously it depends what you disliked about the other games. But on the other hand, uh, because so much has changed, it feels like I could probably say, yes, you, sh you, you might well enjoy this one. Or if you dislike this one, it's not going to be because it's the same as the other games. You know, so, so much of the kind of like the core gameplay mechanics and, and the way the story is structured, everything has changed so much. Like this is much more of an open world game instead of a kind of a linear thing. Uh, like maybe maybe open world is the wrong word. It's not like an Ubisoft open world or a GTA or something like that. It's more like uh, a 3D Zelda, uh, less open than uh, the most recent one, Breath of the Wild, but more like uh, kind of Ocarina of Time or something. The way that that's structured, where you once the game opens out a bit after those kind of early chapters, you have the freedom to, to backtrack, the freedom to explore, and uh, you'll often be kind of revisiting areas, uh, having unlocked some new tools, and that allows you to access previously locked off areas. It's got that kind of Metroidvania feel that uh, kind of uh, classic Zelda feel. Like, I I really like the the pacing of this game and and that sense of exploration without it being a truly massive open world where it's a little bit overwhelming and uh a little bit unfocused which is obviously very different from those older god of wars uh, another thing that has like hugely changed is you know the camera angle now it's uh pulled right in uh close to kratos kind of an older over the shoulder third person thing um obviously in the older games the camera was pulled way back uh, in the previous games, you had the um, like the Blades of Chaos, these like swords on chains, and you sort of spinning them, whipping them around in like a, a big, like typically like little arenas against lots of opponents. Uh, now you have an axe. It's much more about kind of close combat, although you can throw the axe, uh, almost like Thor throwing his hammer, uh, and then summon it back to you. It feels amazing to, to get like a good, like kind of solid axe hit from a throw, and then sort of summon it back. Um, and that all kind of fits much better with the uh, like the kind of the close over the shoulder view. Uh, another thing that the uh, the older games were famous for is these like super ultra violent, uh, but heavily scripted quick time event kills, like these finishing moves. And you know the new God of War still has finishing moves, but the way that they work is totally different. So most enemies will have two health bars they will have basically you know a, a standard health bar where if you, you whittle that down and they will be killed uh, but they also have kind of a stun meter which you can fill up and then that allows you to move in and get a finishing move and uh, broadly speaking the finishing moves are divided between kind of like an instant kill where you know you can grab them and you don't need to do anything else there's no button mashing there's no no quick time event uh, they're just going to be instantly killed in a, in a cool animation uh, because you, which is kind of your reward for, for stunning them, uh, however you've done that, whether it's uh, switching to, to using your fists instead of the axe, because that tends to do more stun damage, or uh, other abilities that you unlock as the game progresses. Uh, some enemies, though, like some tougher enemies, you can't just insta-kill them, even if you stunned them. But what will happen is, instead of being a quick time event where you're kind of uh, having to like mash square, triangle, circle, X in sequence or whatever, it still uses the same basic controls. So uh, the default controller layout is uh, R1 for uh, like the, the right shoulder button for a light attack and the, the right trigger for a heavy attack. And what will typically happen is you've grabbed the enemy and now you can use your light and heavy attacks in this kind of close combat 
uh, and really just kind of wail on them and do a ton of damage without them fighting back. That's the kind of finishing moves you have, rather than the the old school uh, quick time events that you had in the other God of War games. So again, you know, going back to that question of like, if I disliked the previous games, you know, because I've already said like, I was not a huge fan of the previous games looking back on them now and having revisited god of war 3 uh but i absolutely loved this one so i think there's a good chance that even if you didn't enjoy the earlier ones uh give this one a go and kind of following on from that it, he asked is there actually anything that carries on from the previous ones other than the characters and the story and this is a tough one to answer because I, I really don't want to spoil anything about this game the story is excellent yeah as much as good as the gameplay is and as good as the um the combat is and the exploration uh, and the way the game is put together and, and it looks gorgeous it's a really sort of beautiful showcase for the ps4 as you would expect from a you know first party sony title the story is fantastic and i don't want to spoil any of the twists even the kind of the the inciting incidents that sets you going in the first few minutes uh, what I will say is that uh, while you are playing as Kratos, and uh, there are a lot of like uh, kind of oblique references back to the other games uh, and his relationships with some of the characters from those games, like the other gods from those older games, it you know part of the whole like God of War mythos is that Kratos killed most of the Greek pantheon. So it's not like you're you're constantly bumping into characters from the other games. This is something that I think you could approach without having ever played any of the rest of the series. But if you do have some knowledge of, of those older games, then I think that enhances it uh, because it means that you've got this like longer relationship with Kratos and you can kind of remember how he was and you can see how he's evolved. Uh, and, he, you know, he doesn't feel like a different character, like, oh, we've just got a bunch of new writers and they're, they're writing completely differently. He feels like a character who has evolved and he's, has... Uh, there's a, there's a lot of weight to his character uh, based on the fact that you, you know he's had all these other kind of adventures, these other stories. Uh, it's not just implied in, in this one that he's had a lot of backstories. Like you know because you've quite possibly played those games, you know exactly what happened. So yeah, there, there is definitely some stuff that carries across from the other games, uh, but I wouldn't say it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, it's not like, say, Blade Runner 2049, which was, you know, another kind of sequel a, a number of years after after the last entry, uh, where I feel like to enjoy Blade Runner 2049, you had to go watch the original Blade Runner first. Otherwise, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Whereas God of War, this one kind of stands alone. Uh, it's just kind of enhanced by the fact that these are the games. Uh, and uh, he also asked me, is it this year's horizon zero dawn and i'm assuming what he means there is like is this the kind of like the unmissable sony exclusive for the year and i would immediately say yes you know we both loved horizon zero dawn uh that's not to say that this game is is actually that similar uh it, it's a sony exclusive sure it's a third person action game uh but like tonally it's quite different uh and you know that was much more of a kind of a traditional open world game this is uh a bit tighter and like i said much more of a a kind of a, a Zelda-like game. Um, but, you know, I think we called Horizon Zero Dawn our game of the year last year. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if I get to the end of this year and say that God of War is my game of the year for 2018. Of course, there's plenty of other games due to come out 
and uh, we're still expecting Red Dead Redemption 2 at the end of the year, which is going to be a strong competitor, I imagine. But uh, right now, this is uh, one of the best games I've played in 2018. And I think if if you've got a PlayStation 4, you have to play this. You have to at least give it a shot because uh, it's great. Um, it's kind of difficult to explain so much like what it is that makes it so good. And uh, there's a whole bunch of different factors kind of coming into it that I really like. So uh, I'll just try and kind of highlight a couple of those. And one of the things I think is really clever is how uh, the whole thing is built around the relationship between Kratos and his son, Atreus. And they're on this kind of very personal quest. And I think it's very cleverly done uh, how they uh, how they introduce the main quest, but then how after like a fairly linear bit at the start, it starts to open up. But it doesn't fall prey to some of the stuff that like, other open world games do, where, you know, right now I'm also playing Far Cry 5. And in Far Cry 5, it's this typical Ubisoft open world thing where this doomsday cult has taken over an area and they are kidnapping people and murdering people and burning down buildings. And it's all like really uh, like tense and dramatic and you kind of got to you've got to save everyone. But there's no pressure to go do those main story missions, even though logically you've got to stop this cult as fast as possible. So instead, you're going hunting and fishing and collecting baseball cards and doing all this other side stuff even though there's this really uh powerful like narrative momentum to go do the main story stuff in god of war because it's much more of a kind of a personal journey for kratos and atreus if they choose to stray off the main path and go do a side mission or go exploring that's really uh that really fits with the tone of the game and uh the kind of the point in their relationship that their father son relationship that they're at and because you've got these two characters uh, you only ever control kratos but uh atreus is always with you and like he's the guy you know he's the one who keeps the journal which kind of keeps track of your objectives and a bestiary and uh all the lore items that you find uh and they both kind of have different approaches and different drives. So Kratos is really focused on their journey and their destination and their goal, and he doesn't want to stray off that path, and he doesn't want to help other people with their problems. Uh, Atreus is, uh, he's a young boy. I, I'm not quite sure how old he's meant to be, but he feels kind of like 10 to 12, like early teens maybe. And uh, you know, he wants to explore, he wants to meet new people, he's excited about meeting new people and helping them out. So you have these two different kind of drives and uh, how they interact is great. And in some ways, it sort of represents the the kind of the two drives that you've got as a gamer in this sort of meta way where Kratos kind of views any side stuff as like, well, what's in it for me? What loot am I going to get? What equipment am I going to get? And it's kind of phrases it as this, well, you know, okay, we will do this, but it's not to help this person. It's only to help us on our journey by improving our equipment or improving our skills. Uh, that's how he frames everything. Whereas Atreus is super excited to like, oh, I want to go explore over here. What's behind this door? Who is this guy? What what can we do? And that works really well to kind of uh, both drive you along the main story, but also justify why you're taking time out to go do something else. And... Um, in case that didn't make it clear, that obviously also, you know, another thing about this game is that uh, it's not just a series of linear missions. Uh, it's basically a full-fledged RPG 
where you have uh, tons of stats to improve by getting different equipment. There are NPCs to meet who will get, basically give you quests. Uh, there are vendors who sell uh, armor and, and other upgrades, and you have to like find materials and they will craft you new stuff. So like it's a really rich system that uh, gets introduced as you progress through the game. It gets more and more complex. Uh, and I think that's another thing that... Uh, made it a much more uh kind of palatable game to play for me in terms of the difficulty so you know i mentioned at the start that when i played god of war 3 i ended up having to turn the difficulty down uh one of the things that i really like about this game is actually so first of all there are no difficulty related trophies you know if you want to play the game on the easiest setting you can still actually get a platinum for, for completing the game and completing everything in it uh you can also drop the difficulty anytime you don't have to restart the game you can just uh, drop it, it will just restart the last checkpoint. Uh, and also you can then turn the difficulty back up. I think by default at the start, there are three uh, difficulty levels and they're called like, uh, give me a story, give me a balanced experience and give me a challenge. And then I think there is a fourth, like kind of super hard difficulty you can unlock by beating the game. So I decided to start with the, uh, the middle of those that give me a balanced experience because, you know, I like... I like progressing through a game for the story, but I don't want the combat to be so easy that it just feels like a chore. I want it to be challenging enough that it feels interesting. And uh, what's good about it being a kind of an RPG system is that if you're like me and you want to go explore everything and do everything, you're getting so much gear that your stats are always getting upgraded and you can kind of out-level a lot of the stuff. So if you're finding it kind of difficult at first, uh, as you get better gear, it becomes a little bit easier. And there's a really nice balance where like you're you're encountering tougher enemies as the game continues, but your character is also getting better. It's not just about your own skills, it's also that your stats are improving. Having said that, uh, I did hit a bit of a roadblock with the optional bosses. So as well as the main story, as well as the side quests, they're also kind of uh, really uh, just kind of incredibly optional stuff that is like... Uh, fairly separate from the main storylines and, and separate even from the uh, some of the quests which are quite fleshed out uh, there are kind of bonus areas that you can explore and, and some optional bosses and i managed to kill eight out of the nine optional bosses on that medium difficulty but uh, i must admit when i took on the ninth one uh, i gave up after a few tries because i was just getting my ass handed to me but Overall, I'm pretty happy with the, the level of difficulty that God of War presented, especially, you know, comparing this game to uh, God of War 3. It, it never, it very rarely feels cheap. There were a couple of bosses where I did kind of want to punch my controller, but it, it's not like the older God of War games where I often felt like it was just being very cheap. And uh, one of my pet peeves is something that comes up repeatedly through the God of War series, which is that in both uh, God of War 1 and I'm pretty sure in God of War 2, the final boss, uh, you kind of get this whole new suite of abilities and a uh, different like, main weapon and it just plays very differently. So all the, all the skills you've learned through the whole game suddenly no longer apply. And uh, I'm very pleased to report that the new God of War does not fall into that same pitfall. Uh, there are plenty of sequences where uh, something unique will happen, but it always feels... Uh, kind of like fun and exciting rather than just this kind of like oh shit well now I have to learn how to do something completely new and I don't know what's going on 
So uh, again, I just I just really can't stress enough how much I enjoyed playing God of War and um, how much I liked the story of, of Kratos and his son. Um, you know, we see a lot of uh, kind of parent-child relationships uh, at the moment in games. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's probably because a lot of game developers are kind of, uh, you know, if they got started in their 20s in the early 2000s or in the 90s, you know, they're much older now. Uh, they've probably got families of their own and they're writing stories that kind of reflect that. So with all that said, I'm now going to hand over to my illustrious co-host Sorrel, who has played Resident Evil 7, and uh, hopefully he'll remember to answer my questions, because if he doesn't, I can say terrible things about him, because I'm the one editing the podcast when we're done. Hey, it's your boy Sorrel here. I'm talking about Resident Evil 7, which I beat a little while ago. And we've got a mailbag episode, so I've got a letter here from... uh, Oh, it's from Joe. Joe says, I know you're a big fan of the early Resident Evil games, but either hated or didn't even play the later games, brackets 4 to 6. Does 7 feel like it's going back to old school Resident Evil, or does it feel like some new third way? Uh, yeah, uh, everybody was raving about Resident Evil 7, saying it is a return to the, the you know the series roots, and um, it is, but not enough. But for the first, let's say two thirds of the game, I, I swear to God, I was really thinking. I started off thinking, ah, oh, this is making me really hanker for a VR version of Resident Evil Remake, which is my favorite of all the Resident Evil series. Um, but then, as I continued playing, I was thinking. This is, I don't need that. This is, this is good enough. This is as good as that. It's, it's, it's really reminiscent of that. that you know, you're in the house and it's got the, the traditional type puzzles and there's none of this bombastic bullshit and the story is sort of kept to a minimum. It's not like big long cutscenes of people doing ridiculous Matrix stuff. It's, all that is far, far away. And I was like, I, I was so happy with it. But then, this is spoilers. I guess it's going to be a really spoiler review. Um, although I think it's the kind of spoiler where it's like you, you, you'll be better off being spoiled so that you know what to expect and it's not really such a great brilliant story that you could ruin it with a spoiler um, about two thirds of the way through you leave the um, the, the, the sort of mansion the, 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 the traditional Resident Evil style setting or at least you know traditional to the original Resident Evil you leave that and you go off to a different area and it's it just all falls apart then it really just becomes it was so reminiscent of resident evil revelations which is weird because you know that in itself was considered a return to form um at the time compared you know that's to be fair it's comparing it with resident evil 6 or 5 or whatever it was at that time um and that was a, a good well not a step forward but it's a, a, a great a, you know people are grateful for it. it's taking a step back to like a, a time when resident evil was a bit better but it was still not good enough and especially towards the end it was just it was just not very good um and resident evil 7 just really really just turns into that it, i mean it's even set on a boat and the monsters are kind of similar and it's got more emphasis on action towards the end and it's just like i don't know it's just like less perfect of a design and i was really disappointed with that and especially like after the boat section the very last section it really is just a like a a, a big long linear corridor that's winding around but it's still just linear and there aren't so many puzzles and stuff and 
and you're just shooting and they just throws enemies 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 at you and you you you've got a machine gun a machine gun in a survival horror game and you, I don't think I ever had fewer than like 300 bullets for it it's really generous with the ammo and it's just it was just shooting it was just a, just turned into a first person shooter for that part towards the end of the game you know so it, I, it never went back to the good part at the beginning um it was just that that was a big disappointment and it has the part where it sort of like breaks. Um, there's a, there's the stupidest decision ever. I'm gonna this again. This big spoiler. Um, there's a decision that you have to make, and I don't know why this is in it because it's not that type of game, and they don't follow through with it at all. There's a you've got your girlfriend and a, a female character, and um, you have to choose which one to save and which one to leave behind. And the game just wants you to pick your girlfriend. I don't know why it was not just a scripted cutscene where you pick your girlfriend because th that's all they do with it, right? I, I didn't like my girlfriend, I picked the other woman. So you, you leave your girlfriend behind and you go off. Oh, I'll tell you the first one, I'll tell you the, the girlfriend version first. If you take your girlfriend, you leave the girl behind and you get on the boat with your girlfriend and, and set off into the sunset. That's where the game should have ended. But you're going along and then you see a big like wrecked ship and then a monster sort of like throws you both off the boat and you wake up as your girlfriend, like first person's perspective, so you can't really see, but your, your girlfriend on the, on, you know, on the wrecked boat and you're going, oh, I've got to find my boyfriend now. If you choose the other way, you choose the other girl and leave your girlfriend behind. The exact same fucking thing happens. You're going along, or she get, the monster comes out and she and kills the girl, and you get thrown overboard, and then you still wake up on the wrecked boat as your girlfriend. Like how how did she get there? The game never explains it, and it really just seems like Capcom just I don't know they just ran out of money or time or concern about right scripting a part of the game unique to this decision. It just went fuck it. Just use the same shit that we used for the for the other decision for the girlfriend when you save your girlfriend. They won't notice. It's just mental. But that, you know, that was, uh, you know, that also left, that was part of this really bad taste that it's leaving in your mouth where the game, it does that ridiculous thing there and it also takes a, a massive sweep towards like Resident Evil Revelations territory and, you know, far, it starts moving further and further away from um, like remake style, which was, it was really nailing perfectly for, at the start. The disappointing thing is I would say um, just play it up to there and and I actually I, I had a chance to trade the game in for another game that I want but I decided actually I'm gonna keep it because I think I will be replaying this and I think of that as a big um, indicator of, of whether a game is good or not is am I ever gonna bother to replay you know I might enjoy a game like I enjoyed uh, infamous second son but I'm never gonna replay it. I just can't be bothered it's not that it's not that good it's not that deep of an experience so even though I enjoyed it, I'd say well, okay so it's not that great a game Resident Evil 7 I would pl I would like to replay it, but just stop at that part where that decision happens. And you know, if you just pick whoever you like, and that'd be a good ending. Pick whoever you like, and then just sail off into the sunset with it. And like that's like a sort of an ambiguous ending. What happened to the person you left behind, or whatever? That's fine. It's just a shame because Resident Evil games are so heavily based on replayability. You know, there's there's the other um, difficulty levels. There's the there's all just trophies. There's there's unlockable modes like invisible enemy enemy mode in Resident Evil Remake and things like that. And of course, no, all that's thrown out. You can't have any of that if you're stopping two thirds of the way through the game because that's how far it stays good. Um, yeah, a bit of a letdown. But I mean, if if it had ended there, I swear to God, I I might give it a ten out of ten, um, especially in VR mode because it was it was that good and it was it, it just did all the great things from from traditional Resident Evil and left out all the bullshit. Um, so up until there, I mean, I would still recommend it. Recommend it hardcore. Play it up till there. <laughs> Um, I suppose just keep playing it to see how stupid it gets.
Okay, I've got another question from another listener. It's uh, oh, it's from Joe again. Did you play the entire game in VR, and did you play any of it normally, even if just to compare? If so, how does it compare? I played the entire game in VR apart from there was one boss fight that was friggin' impossible. I must have done it like twenty times. Um, and the controls in VR are the the game is not designed very well for the controls that you can do in VR. Like you can't really um, strafe as such. You it's just it's just not good because um, the, the all of these encounters because they're with people that you can't really destroy. So it's not like zombies where you can sort of back up and shoot them in the head and keep doing. It. Some enemies are like that, but the main enemies are the family members and they're in invulnerable, right? So it's almost all the encounters are based around running around a small cramped environment and trying to get get out of their reach and you can't do that in vr because you're sort of mo just especially the you know the controls that they gave it um you're just sort of moving where you look so you can't move in a different direction to what you're looking in really and it's just not good because you can't do what you can vr tricks you into thinking that it's real life but you've got nowhere near as much control over your movement as you have in real life because in real life, you've got peripheral vision, so that's gone out of the window. You don't really have full peripheral vision because, like, VR, it looks like you're wearing, like, scuba diving goggles and you can't really see far beyond the side of that. Um, in real life, you have almost, like, a sixth sense where all your senses become more than the sum of their parts where you've got your peripheral vision, you've got, like, just, light, like, shadows. You can you can tell if someone's behind you or not and you can't do that in VR. Um you know, you can sense, you've got just got a better sense of your environment in real life where you know where everything is and you've got your touch. You can put your hand out and touch. Like, they'll be, often there'll be like something in the center of the room. Like, a, in this fight, there was a, set, a pillar in the center of the room. You could put your hand on that or just no sense where it is without having to look at it directly like you have to in VR. And then you can sort of maneuver around it and keep it between you and the enemy. In VR, you can't do that. You just have to keep running and stopping. You, that's the thing, you can't, you can't run and look behind you at the same time, which is a massive oversight in this type of game with the types of enemies they put in it. You can, I realized that because I realized I was getting battered because they, they were kept coming up behind me and I thought, oh, I can just stop and look. I just literally turned my head physically in real life, 180 degrees and look behind me. But you can't, you have to stop and in, you know immediately make yourself vulnerable in order to do that. Um, there should have been some move where you can, some button you can hold down something to keep you moving in the same direction whilst you're looking around so you can quickly look behind you while still running away. But you can't do that, so it's a big problem. Um, I switched to regular mode just to try it. I don't know why. I think I thought maybe the controls would be different. If anything, they're harder because because in VR you can look around instantly pretty much. You can flick your head and move very, very quickly and look around. In Obviously with a, a thumbstick on a regular controller you can't do that and it's really clunky. But somehow I managed to beat him in non-VR mode. Um, I think maybe just it was the next day. Maybe I just had a rest from trying 20 times in a row where you're just getting worse and worse. And I finally beat him. And I had a look around. I, I couldn't really tell that much of a difference in the graphics. I should point out, because I, I really packed on Resident Evil 7 when I first tried it and I first talked about VR. Um, it, it is terrible when you start. The game starts right in the worst looking areas, really bad. Outside, all the foliage and stuff looks like absolute crap. But inside, you can't really tell that it looks any worse. This is my thing about great looking games. They only wow you when you first start playing. Like Uncharted 4, you go, oh my god, it's blowing my socks off. It looks amazing. But then as you start playing, you sort of forget about that and you're just focusing on the gameplay, you know. Um, so it, it doesn't really wow you over the entire course of the game. So it's irrelevant. You get used to whatever it is, unless it looks really, really terrible. Or like it's inconsistent. If it's inconsistent, that's the worst because then it, it's dragging you out because it's, it's every now and then it's reminding you that it's just a shitty looking game, not reality. But... 
it, it inside the house it's fairly consistent and it doesn't it looks pretty good and i've also played other vr games since that look even worse so <laughs> resident evil 7 looks pretty good um in non-vr mode i couldn't really tell that much of a difference so um it was all it was it was okay it was it was um it was not distractingly bad or anything so i was happy with it in both modes but i would totally recommend vr mode um which I'll get into now because he's got. I've got another question from another listener. Oh, it's Joe again. How scary actually is it compared to other games, brackets or films? Um, it was really, really scary. Uh, because I think because I was playing VR. I, I mean, I don't want to downplay how good the design of the game was, but I do think a lot of it was. It was so scary because it was in VR, and it's my first VR horror game, and um, it really puts you in the environment. And th the biggest difference is. In a, in horror, the last thing you want is for the the viewer or the player to have any sort of sense of familiarity or comfort, or like a, any feeling of a safe haven. And with a movie or with a regular non VR game, there's there's a gap between like the t the, the the world of the game is on the TV screen. It might be on the other side of the room, and in between is the you know it's the, your living room or, or bedroom or whatever. It's the most familiar safe most comforting feeling place you have it's like you know your home is your castle and it, and you're in that and that's where the horror they're trying to scare you with horror in that it doesn't really work um it takes a really special game to make you sort of forget about that and get this tunnel vision where it's just like you know this tunnel between your eyes and the tv screen forget everything else and your girlfriend's like sorrel sorrel and you're like what what forget that the rest of the world exists this is really difficult to pull off in vr it's irrelevant because that world is gone there is no gap you know, the, the screen is like it's on your eyeballs. It's touching your eyelashes almost. Um, there's no gap. There's nowhere to sort of get back away from this horrible thing that you're seeing. You can't look away. It's like the, the clockwork orange eye torture thing. You can't look away. And um, that's, that's a big difference. And it really freaked me out. And um, I'm <laughs> such a pussy. Well, I did a couple of times. There's some, there's some sort of... Uh, moments where you know something horrible is going to happen there's a bit near the beginning where you come up a staircase and then you reach like a dead end and you have to go back and when you go back to the staircase suddenly it's pitch black down there and i knew something was going to happen down there something horrible so what i did was if you're not familiar with vr the vr headset there's if you don't have one there's a physical button underneath the, the visor that goes in front of your eyes and if you hold it in it you slide the visor in and out now that's not to focus it it's supposed to be as close to your eyes as possible. That's when it will focus. Um, it's to just take it off. Um, so what I did was I just just to get a bit of distance between me and the game and feel like I could sort of recoil a bit or move away. Um, I slid the the, the the visor out as far as it would go. So like you, it's out of focus a bit, and you can sort you can sort of see this what you're supposed to be looking at just like inside the visor, away from your face. I just did that just to keep it just slightly away from me. I did that a couple of times because um, I just did not want to be in there, and I was I. I, I was really enjoying the game and um, that feeling that I've not had since I was a kid where you're, you know, you're doing your job or you're at school or whatever and you're just looking forward to the evening when you can get back to playing this game, looking forward to it so much. And I was doing that and in the evening I'd finally sit down on the sofa and get the headset. I'd be like, hang on, I don't, I don't want to be in it. This is an unpleasant feeling. I don't, you know, it's strange because horror games and horror movies, it's, it's objectively an unpleasant feeling but it's one that you... You somehow get a rush out of you, like at some level you get enjoyment out of it, but it's really, with the game particularly, it's really hard to sort of force yourself to go into this horrible world. Um, and I've only really felt that with uh, PT, one of the other, you know, the, one of the scariest things I've played in modern times, because I was scared more easily when I was a kid, obviously. Um, 
and these days I didn't find that much scaring me apart from PT. And now this, um, it was really good. But um, yeah, I'm not sure the design of the game, how much that contributes to the the horror rather rather than just the VR, um, because I started to learn what the, how the game works and sort of see the rules of the game. When it's kind of my fault because I didn't understand fully what the game was about. I kind of assumed from what I'd seen and, and read that it was like Alien Isolation. If you've not played Alien Isolation in that, um, you're, the main enemy is the alien and you can't kill it. If it finds you, you're dead. It will kill you. And you, you can only just hide from it and try to avoid it. And for the most of the game, the alien can come can appear at any time. It can come down at one of the vents or just come around a corner at any time. It's like free roaming the whole game environment. It's not that I'm sure there are parts of it that were scripted, but you know, generally it's not scripted. It can appear any time. And I thought that's what the family members were going to be like in Resident Evil 7. Because there are parts where it feels like that. They're sort of roaming around. But those are really sort of scripted, at least like where they when that will happen, but the segments of the game where that is part of the gameplay is scripted. So I, you you know, they're in, invulnerable, but every now and then you have a boss fight where you sort of temporarily take them out of the action. For, after that first boss fight, I went back into the main area and I was still creeping around super cautiously. This is how scary the game is. Um, th thinking that he could come back or that one of the other family members could be sneaking, could, you know, could be roaming the house. But that's not how it works. Like, once you've got him out of the, out, taken him out of the action, okay, now this area is completely safe. And again, that's the last thing you want in a horror game to have the player feel safe. And there's lots of parts in Resident Evil 7 where you can just relax because you know the rules of the game. You know, okay, that part's done now. He's not coming back. Or, you know, I've cleared the enemies out of this area. There's no more enemies left here. I can explore it freely and in a relaxed way. That You don't want that in a horror game. Um, and it's just like, these are the, it's kind of, it's almost good that it's actually gone back to this, the, you know, this traditional style of Resident Evil. That's why we know the rules of it because we've seen it in previous ones where Resident Evil was good. Um, but it's like, okay, the, I've cleared the, the, the monsters out of this area, now it's safe. But I also know that later on, the game will require me to backtrack to this area or through it. And that's when the game will think it's got me under, a, you know, lulled me into a false sense of security. And it thinks it can then spring some surprises on me. But I also know that that's when it's going to be repopulated with maybe probably stronger enemies. I know that. I can predict it's going to happen. And sort of predictability sort of it puts a bit of a downer on a horror game. But overall, it's good and it's scary. Except when the game goes to shit in the last third, part of it going to shit is that it's not that scary anymore. But more well, partially because it's just a big, you know, it's a, a gauntlet run of, of a bunch of enemies that you're just mowing down with a machine gun. Um, but also, a spoilers for the story. I th people were raving about this, saying it had a, it's like, oh, it's the first one that's got a good story. No, it doesn't. First of all, it's the exact same story as every other Resident Evil game. It's, you know. Oh, there's a bunch of monsters and weird mutations and shit happening. Oh, it's a it's a big evil corporation that was trying to make a weapon to sell to worldwide militaries. <laughs> the most that has never happened. I don't think I've ever seen a storyline where they've succeeded in doing that. Every like even aliens does this where it's like, well, let's keep it uh, this reckless, unpredictable monster and use that. That's going to be more effective than just dropping a gigantic bomb from a drone that doesn't even have a human pilot in anymore. Doesn't work. It's stupid. Um, but. This one, through oh, the big twist on this one is they—it's a little girl, it's a little psychic girl with long dark hair that, that is in fucking everything now. It's like I just thought this is just Resident Evil Revelations plus fear, and then I found out afterwards it was directed by the guy who directed Revelations, and it was written by the guy who wrote Fear. So not really straying far from the wheelhouse there, were they? 
it's just I I I don't know why this is a horror trope. It's not like it's a no, I don't know, maybe it is. I suppose in Japanese folklore it goes back quite a way, but in Western folk, Western, you know, modern folklore and stuff and, and horror tropes, the little girl is um, is quite new. It's not this established thing that, go, that goes deep into your psyche and it's always part of our cultural psyche or something. No, it's just some bullshit they've copied from other things because it's, I don't know why. I'm not scared of little girls. I'm not scared of little children. And it seems to be... In everything now, everything is like, oh, if we put a little girl, she can be wearing pajamas or a nightdress or something, and if she's got long dark hair covering her face, that's even scarier. No, it's not. Smack them on the ass and send them to bed with no pudding. Sorted. They're not scared, and especially because she's like psychic, and it's like she's not even there. She's sort of like warping around. It's clear she's not actually there. She's like a projection or something. And it's the same with like ghosts. I'm not scared of ghosts because it's so binary. It's like they're gonna. I can't attack them because they're not physically there and they'll just kill me with some supernatural power that I can't control. So it's okay, so just write it off then. It's something like a zombie where there is the chance of escaping but a chance of getting physically murdered that gives like that tension. Like, oh, it's it could go either way. That makes it tense as opposed to just, oh, she's caught me, I'm dead now. I realise I've been praising Alien Isolation, which is in a way it's the exact same thing as binary, but this, this, just fuck off. It's, that one's good, right? Um, so I'm not happy with... I wasn't happy with that either, the fact that it turned to this super, super generic... Uh, two super generic storylines. The psychic girl, who's been behind everything, and the, the, the corporation that created it as a bioweapon. It's rubbish. Um, also, it has that ridiculous trope of... Not ridiculous, it's okay, but it's just so overdone. The big fat zombie. There's all these zombie type. There's the regular zombie, and there's the big fat zombie. And it always pukes acid at you. Projectile vomits acid at you. That hurts you. And then when you kill it, it explodes, and that hurts you. It's the same in every game. Again, it's like... That's not a long-standing horror trope. Like, a, it doesn't go back hundreds of years like vampires or something. So that's something that's so blatantly just copied from other games. Because it's, you know, you've not copied, you've not, you're allowed to copy something from long-standing folklore. You can't just copy it from a game that came out five years ago. Okay, this is our creation now. No, just come up with something original. So I'm not happy with that either. But, what was I saying? Overall, <laughs> just don't play the last third of it. It's garbage. Okay, time to... I'm going to wrap this up and stop talking now. Um, oh, I hope I haven't sounded too negative on it, because I always just nitpick things to it. And trust me, there's a lot more smaller details that I've managed to, you know, rein myself in and stop pulling it apart just because of these tiny little details. Like, nothing can be completely perfect all the way through. Um, but I'm making it sound worse again. <laughs> right, forget everything negative I said. It's, st it's still absolutely worth playing, and it's got so much going for it. And... Um, it's a great, it's a great step backwards to a time when Resident Evil was still good. Um, I hope that because it it feels like Resident Evil was good at a certain point, and then they tried to change it up, and it went very badly. And now they've had to sort of like backpedal to this time period where it was good, and and hopefully they can try to go forwards with it again and and improve it, or or even just try and get back closer to um, Resident Evil remake uh, that was like good all the way through it. Um, Resident Evil 2 is coming out soon, um, next, just early next year, so I, I've got faith in that, I've not been, you know, put off really by the, the, the negative aspects of Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil 2 looks really good, um, and of course it is a remake, so there's less room for them to fuck it up, <laughs> if they just stick to that, and, uh, you know, just bolt on some, some good extra bit, a little bit, then it, I'm looking forward to it, but it's a shame that it's not in VR, because this was really good, in VR. See you, pals!
Oh, it's from Joe. 